Church Life Today is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and our listeners. When we are young, we need the guidance of mentors. We never really outgrow that need for guidance, but at some point, a change must take place if we are to reach maturity. Instead of always being the one who is guided and mentored, we become the ones who provide the guidance and mentoring to others. We stop always looking for the adult in the room because we have become the adult in the room. My guest today was recently awakened to the fact that she is very much at the threshold of that transition. Sarah Pellrine is a bona fide young adult Catholic, but she is quickly moving away from the young part of that description. Instead, she is stepping into what it means to be an adult Catholic, a mature disciple. Professionally, Sarah works in the Archdiocese of Chicago, where she applies her training in both theology and in business to help parishes undertake organizational transformations to better pursue their mission of evangelization. Personally, Sarah is relatively recently married, but previously spent a great deal of time in her formative 20-something years living and working in L'Arche communities. Together, she and I will talk about what we need and what we don't need to be well-formed, engaged, mature people of faith. I'm Leonard DiLorenzo, and this is Church Life Today, a production of the McGrath Institute for Church Life in collaboration with Spoke Street Media Network. I'm glad you're here. Sarah Pellrine, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Sarah, you qualify as a young adult Catholic. Congratulations. And in, in fact, our, our conversation today follows from a previous episode that Tim O'Malley and I recorded where we were talking about the importance of intellectual formation for Catholic young adults. And afterwards, you emailed us, which you may now regret, but you emailed us. And in response to that, I wrangled you into this interview because of what you had to say in the email. Just to kind of catch people up a little bit, you you told us that you're someone who has benefited really from robust intellectual formation in your Catholic faith, but recently you found yourself somewhat dissatisfied with what you're finding, you know, out there to sort of continue to nourish you in that way. Can you give us a little bit of that story and tell us what you're talking about? Sure. I mean, I think it's important to receive multiple perspectives to to understand the robustness of the faith through different lenses. And that's always been important to me as I've developed and as I've been a young adult. You know, I grew up in a Midwestern suburban parish and didn't really even know that there could be different ways of being Catholic and different lenses of approaching Catholicism. That was really quite new to me when I got to college and I saw lots of very good holy people practicing the Catholic faith in pretty varied ways. Mm -hmm. And I came to know and love and appreciate learning from a lot of different perspectives. And then I moved to Washington, D.C. <laughs> in Washington, D.C., everything is about as extreme to the poles as it could be. Sure. And so I, again, really appreciated seeking intellectual formation through varied lenses and benefited from that. And also always a little bit struggled to integrate those into to look at an issue and to hear different perspectives and see different Catholic ways of approaching things and then figure out what my own was. And recently, I mean, once 
social media is on the scene and the Catholic Instagram world and the Catholic Instagram lady world, you know, I have a, a lot of, again, prided myself, pride myself on, on being open to a lot of different perspectives and, and looking at things through the Catholic lens in a lot of different ways, but was really struggling to integrate it because it seemed to move away from meaningful conversation and meaningful reflection and then it could just be a lot of noise. Yeah. You know, you're you're speaking now about kind of what you're finding on social media, especially in on Instagram, and you use this term, which I love, the Catholic Catholic Instagram ladies, which we might have to come back to that. But <laughs> were you finding that everything was kind of the same? Like were you missing some of the variety and the depth? Yes. Like I was challenged by my spiritual director, like in reading 10 different things, are you getting 10 different perspectives? Mm-hmm. That's what he said. And I was like, I'm not. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a lot of people saying the same thing, maybe kind of two extremes. So it might not all be the same, but certainly many versions of the same thing in different places. And so that was no longer, it wasn't helpful. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't challenging me. And it also, some of it just didn't fit with what I know to be in my relationship with God, in my experience of the faith, in my, through my formation, what I know to be true and Mm. learning how to trust that is, has been certainly part of my, my journey lately. Yeah. I wonder if you could give us some examples, maybe not very particular examples, but as you said, like the, the sort of Catholic Instagram lady trend, there's a number of various people who've become quite prominent on a place like Instagram and other social media platforms and are regularly posting and giving out different kinds of messages, but not just what is said, but the way in which things are posed. So could you help us to learn a little bit more about or think more about what is the the style of this or what kind of things were you finding? What's the I think so much of it felt so reactionary to mm. a current event or something happening in the world where it could feel as though it was just someone proving that they were Catholic and could respond to something in the Catholic way. Hmm. And that can be so tricky too. When, when there are two voices that you hear that you're like, Oh, I would normally, you know, these are two very different perspectives to people claiming very strongly that they are reacting to this in the Catholic way. Mm-hmm. And that our faith is so much bigger than that. And I think that that is lost so often in reactions to things that people suddenly become (laughs) reaction. And I need to create my stance and my stand and react in the Catholic way, which is usually not encompassing of the full truth. Yeah. Especially not in in an Instagram story or a blog post. For sure. I mean, that rings true with me. I think this kind of positioning of any of us in especially a social media space, but maybe this is something even more about just modern communication as a bundle of reactions, right? Like we, there seems to be more and more pressure and more and more reward even for kind of showing a a sort of consistency of like being this kind of person. And what I hear in what you're saying is what you were finding is that a number of these sort of social media stars, at least in this little Catholic orb, you know, there's an asterisk next to this stuff, but (laughs) it's a kind of virtue signaling, right? So we usually hear virtue signaling in other contexts, whether it has to be with a a certain 
sort of social awareness or something like that. But in this case, like the the type of virtue is a, a virtue of being this kind of Catholic person and being able very quickly, in fact, to respond in a certain way that you could say is on brand for this kind of Catholic person. But the other thing I hear you saying is that what that ends up doing is shutting down any possibility for dialogue or for really staying with something for a long time to grapple with a difficult issue, something that's happening in the world. Does that sound about right? Is that is that part of what you were feeling? Absolutely. That, that nothing, nothing that happens in the world is ever as simple as can be responded to in an instant three-second clip on, on social media. Right. You know, and and to to stick with the brand of this is who I am and how I respond to these things so often eliminates what the majority of people who are sitting with questions and with situations and with issues and struggles is like, there are so many nuances to this. There are so many pieces and ways of looking at this and different people and different there's so much that can get left behind when it's an immediate stance and an immediate response. And so such a strong one, like, of course, there are things in which we as a Catholic people can agree on a strong response, but even those things, there are nuances and, and holding all of the different perspectives. I'm a person that loves that. That's how I process things. It's sometimes to my own detriment to Mm. try to look at it from the perspective of, every person who is looking at that and part of it and the immediate social media response to things can eliminate that and almost create a sense of guilt or shame that you don't have your immediate clear unequivocal stance on something. Right. And and that, I mean, I think we all know this, at least intuitively, even if we haven't articulated it fully, that that can be quite off-putting actually. So it seems that, you know, if you have these very quickly formed bundle of reactions to any particular thing that happens, a kind of brand. Who are you speaking to, right? You're speaking to the people who already agree with you, who are willing to follow you no matter what you say. But if we think about that, that's already shutting off any possibility of outreach. Anything having to do with something like evangelization, forget it. It's probably not going to happen. What I'm hearing, you know, what I'm thinking about in terms of what you're bringing to light is that Maybe one of the most effective ways of evangelization, but also of like promoting real growth in faith for those who are Catholic but are seeking more is to practice taking time to think together. The hot takes is part of the problem, right? Like slow down and like let's take time to think together and not go with just the first thing that comes to our mind to put out there in an Instagram story. But in fact, go to the second or third or maybe even the fourth consideration that you have, which only comes four weeks after, not in 15 minutes, right? After you sit and pray with it, after you talk to your mentors and God, you know, like so, so much of this, it can feel like that step gets missed in, in this. And I think to what would be most effective is creating a space where people are free to ask questions Mm. and to really look at things and receive from the fullness of it, not just the immediate yeah. response. And uh, yeah, evangelization, so immediate responses being immediately handed something that doesn't invite relationship and evangelization is entirely effective. Evangelization is relationship based. Mm-hmm. And so if there's no opportunity for relationship in that, mm-hmm. it doesn't seem effective. 
This is Leonard DiLorenzo. You're listening to Church Life Today on Spoke Street Media Network. My guest is Sarah Perlein, who works in the Archdiocese of Chicago, helping parishes with organizational transformation that allows for a deeper and more intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, you mentioned that you you brought some of these concerns and thoughts to your spiritual director and shared these with him. And you shared this in the, the email that you sent to me also that precipitated our conversation today. And one of the things that you shared with me that he said to you that really struck with me is, I think he said something like, you know, Sarah, you're looking around for the grown-up in the room. And then he said, you're the grown-up in the room now. Like, this is a shift in the way to think about yourself. So I said, it, you know, at the very beginning, you qualify as a young adult Catholic. But very quickly, the young part of that is fading away, right? Like, you're just, now you're the adult Catholic. So Talk a little bit about that, that transition from, as he put it, looking for the grown-up in the room to becoming the grown-up in the room. Yeah, that is definitely something that I'm still grappling with. And I so much of it comes down to trusting myself and my formation and my relationship with God to say that, okay, my prayer about this and, and what comes from that, like that can be the answer. Like I can be that authority, not to not look to the saints and not to not seek spiritual direction. Obviously, this came from spiritual direction, but to to trust the formation that I've had and then in doing so, trust myself and trust God speaking to me and trust the Holy Spirit in that, which requires me to be praying. I mean, I think all of that has revealed to me just the urgency of a solid prayer life. Like if I'm going to be the, the grown-up in the room as it relates to my faith life, that demands me to have a relationship with God and have a faith life that it can be a little bit almost easier to be like, well, what does this person say about mm. this? Because they're good and holy and, and I can trust what they say. That can be a helpful piece of it. But at the end of the day, it's how am I in my relationship to God relating to this person or to this situation or to God himself? Yeah, right. And, you know, going back to what you're talking about before, you know, the sort of reliance or dependence on those who speak the most, right? So in this, like you're saying, in the social media space that many people, many of us continually go back to the same people to hear what they have to say and to hear what they have to say very quickly. But it sounds like, you know, this transition, this movement to becoming the grown up in the room is to create the time and space to form something worth saying, right? Like this is what you're, what I hear you saying, like to actually trust your formation, to take the time in prayer to do the work of reflection before you're in the position to be heard and to say something. So I wonder how much you think about the responsibility of initiating a new way, a new way of dialogue, of conversation, of formation for others that's different than what's on offer, say from, we'll use the term one more time, the Catholic Instagram ladies, and then we can leave it behind, you know, to create a different way. It takes time and it takes work, doesn't it? Right. And it, it takes real people that you're in relationship with. Mm. I mean, I think that's the other piece of the Catholic Instagram ladies. Some <laughs> of these people that I'm referring to are people that I know. Some of them are, are not. Right. You know, they're not people that I'm in relationship with that that know me and my heart and my story and my struggles and my gifts. And, and I don't know theirs. I only know what is shared in a very particular way. And so I think that the very natural next step when I think about all of this and when I think about, okay, to take the time to sit with it. And it's like, then I need to be in a space where I'm in relationship with people praying about this and talking about this and discerning these things that it, it has to be <laughs> relational. Yeah. 
or else, it, or else it's kind of into a void. Well, yeah, it's the cult of celebrity, isn't it? That those who get listened to are those who happen to be somewhat famous or almost famous for the sake of being famous. And the, your point about having, you know, the responsibility of being in relationship with people and that that's really the best venue for both speaking and also for asking the right kind of questions. I don't know. I think that brings up something even broader in terms of what's happening in our sort of mass media sort of consumer culture that we've created. And when I say mass media, I don't just mean Fox News and CNN. I mean, we've created this in these little social enclaves and social media where the celebrities and some of us become guilty of doing this even in smaller ways, different times. But the celebrities are the ones who attract the most attention are constantly looked to to form opinion. Grounding this back into the spaces of relationship, I wonder for you, like, where have been some of those important spaces of relationship where the the bonds that are important for this kind of long-term slow formation were really formed? I mean, I will say one that's in progress right now is being rooted in a parish. Mm-hmm. So I got married two years ago and we've settled into a parish two years ago. I mean, the majority of that time has been in COVID and we were transitioning into <laughs> rooting ourselves in a parish. And so it's a very bizarre time to, <laughs> yeah. one, to experience your first two years of marriage. We laugh and look like we're like, the majority of that has been pretty much entirely spent with each other. Right. But also then thinking about a parish and how to build community within a parish, because that's really important to me and to us to build that. That's definitely in progress. And that's what I you know, that's what the goal of parishes are, the local community around the corner space for that to happen. But that requires a lot of work and is not necessarily what's always happening in every parish everywhere. Right. And certainly in my own story and in my own formation, we've talked about Larsh before, but that the space of relationship where I really learned the importance of relationship and what that means was absolutely in the Larsh community both in Washington, D.C. and in Chicago. Tell us a little bit about L'Arche. So many people listening, I'm sure, are familiar with L'Arche, but if you can give us just the, the 10, 15-second soundbike about L'Arche, and then maybe I'll, I'll ask you to tell us a little bit about your personal experience within the communities. Sure. So L'Arche communities are communities of adults with and without intellectual disabilities, and the model is, is home-based. So there are homes where people with and without disabilities live together and take care of each other. And it's faith-based. And there are homes like these all over the world that are connected to each other. And yeah, the central idea being that people are better together and they're better when they're taking care of each other and that we all have gifts and we all have brokenness and we need to be walking together in that this is Leonard Lorenzo. You're listening to Church Life Today on Spoke Street Media Network. My guest is Sarah Pellrine, who works in the Archdiocese of Chicago, helping parishes with organizational transformation that allows for deeper, more intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pick up a little bit more on these large communities. I love what you said. The central idea is that people are better together. And you also said people with and without intellectual disabilities. I mean, in some ways, from the beginning, we were talking about you know, intellectual obstacles or intellectual poverty that's taking place, uh, especially in the ways in which, you know, many of us end up being formed in social media spaces. Now, we're talking about intellectual disability very differently when we talk about L'Arche, but one of the advantages, the gifts of the whole inspiration of the community is to take time to live together. 
to form a household together. Tell us about your own journey a little bit into particular large communities and maybe what what changed in you or what had to change in you as you spent these months and years living together with people? You know, I moved into a large community just out of college and it was, you know, perhaps idealized in my mind what that would look like. Mm. And the reality was that I moved into a house that 10 people lived in (laughs) and that's a lot of people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I had to learn pretty quickly how to, how to share space, how to share life with people, some people who were very similar to me and some people who were very different from me. And it was, I mean, so I lived in a large house for almost five years. And so it was a, it was a long time that I was in the house. And so my, my journey in that looked so different in the different stages of that, but those people are my family. Hmm. The the core members, so the adults with intellectual disabilities who live in that house in Washington, D.C., um, there were five and five core members when I lived there. One has since passed away. But those folks, I mean, some of them have lived together for 30-some years, so they really know community. But they have absolutely, they became my family and still are, you know, now five years out from living there in the living in a city across the country from them, you know, they got an iPad during COVID. And Mm -hmm. and so FaceTime has become a lot more (laughs) like readily available for them, which is really just the best when my phone buzzes and it's Ontario house FaceTiming me. But I think it's so hard to capture like what, what did I learn? I learned so, so much. Uh But a lot of it came down to to knowing God, not in the intellectual way, which is interesting in the context of this conversation, mm-hmm. to, to know God as the core members in the relationships with God that I witnessed them having, how inspiring that was to me to witness that kind of trust, and then to have that kind of trust also extended to me and to the other assistants who came to live in the home, you know, they were constantly opening their home and their hearts to new people. And they had to trust that when that person was helping them brush their teeth, the toothbrush wasn't going to go in too far. And mm-hmm. they had to trust that that th- that person was going to take the time to sit and listen and understand exactly how much cream that they want in their coffee. And all of these things that are so sacred to knowing a person and to under to being in real relationship with someone is to to really know and understand those those little details that make someone who they are and make them so sacred and in turn they were learning those things about me and my ability to live in community very much came from the way that they loved and cared for me oh they're a you know, she needs this quiet space to be and I'm going to let her come into my house. You know, I'm going to let her come into my room and we're going to watch, you know, this musical together maybe like in this quiet space and like that. I know that she needs that, you know. They could have written the guidebook for your husband, right? (laughs) Really, I mean, I like to tell him that he's very lucky that 
I lived in large for as long as I did because it made me a much easier person to live with because, I mean, goodness, community really holds the mirror up to to all of your gifts and all of your brokenness. And so I also had to learn a lot how to ask for forgiveness, receive forgiveness, and offer forgiveness because you can't live with nine other people and not learn that pretty quickly. You'd be miserable if you didn't learn forgiveness truly. Um, pretty quickly. So. Well, I mean, it sounds to me like this is the kind of environment where you're learning how to be grown-ups together, right? You were t- yes, we, we were talking absolutely. from the beginning about becoming the grown-up in the room. Becoming but, the grown-up in the room. Yeah. And, is- and that that doesn't necessarily mean that you are the most self-sufficient. Like right. that's not what being the grown-up in the room is. Well, as you put it, it had to do more with trust and learning the boundaries of trust and how to trust different people in very particular ways. Right. Yeah. And and that that is not often the world's definition mm-hmm. of being the grown up and but learning from the adult. And you know, the one of the interesting pieces of the community that I was in was that the core members were, were older. They were over the age of sixty. So in addition to all the experience that they had living in communities, they also just had a wealth of life experience that myself as a 22 year old moving into community, like that was such a gift to receive. Mm. And you, you had to be very open to that because it looked different because these are folks who have different levels of intellectual capacity and different levels of development, but that, that doesn't change that they lived life for 70 some years and therefore have an incredible wealth of knowledge to share about how to live and how to be in relationship with people. Mm. Really beautifully put. Well, Sarah, we didn't get a chance to talk about what you're doing now. And so I, I want to maybe just, since I, since I jumped on an email you sent me to set up this conversation, maybe take the end of our time here together to try and secure another conversation with you where we can talk about what you're doing now in the Archdiocese of Chicago and uh, really working with, you have been working at one particular parish or a couple parishes, and now you're going to be working with a lot of different parishes on organizational transformation, the renewal of parish life. So would you mind if if you come back sometime soon and we talk a little (laughs) bit about that? I would love to talk about that. Always happy to talk about Larsh. Always happy to talk about the church. (laughs) Excellent. Well, you've been listening to my friend Sarah Pellrine. We're talking a bit about uh, the needs for intellectual formation for young adults, but even more about becoming the grown-up in the room, what mature Christianity might in fact look like, and it's not necessarily what we think it looks like all the time. Sarah, thanks so much for spending this time with us. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks to all of you for joining us on Church Life today. Church Life Today is a production of Spoke Street Media and the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame and is brought to you in part by Notre Dame FCU and our listeners. Notre Dame Federal Credit Union has a special mission to serve the Catholic Church in America. In 2020 alone, we've served over 800 parishes, schools, and nonprofits in more than 25 dioceses nationwide. We are a member-owned, not-for-profit cooperative 
working hard to create a national Catholic financial alternative to the for-profit banks. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.